0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton. One area we haven't touched on a lot during this global forum up to this point is real estate, which we will now as part of a larger conversation with Blackstone Group president and COO John Gray, who before taking his current role was global head of real estate for the company, but now he oversees the entire operations of the multi-billion dollar firm. John and his wife also are tied not only to Wharton, but to the University of Pennsylvania Medical School with the Basser Center for BRCA, which is researching types of cancer. And It's a pleasure to have John joining us here at the Global Forum. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Great to be here. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, so, if you look at the investing landscape in the U.S. right now, obviously there is so much back and forth. The markets here in the U.S. seemingly have had a good run, a little slowed you know, the last few months. How do you see the investment landscape right now?
1: Well, I think we're at an important inflection point, if you think about it. On the one hand, we're seeing economic growth accelerate. Yep. Capital expenditures are going up. Employment growth is going up. What we're seeing as a result of the tax cut is companies are more confident and GDP growth approaching 3% that is all good. The challenge is that we've got rising deficits. We also are seeing increasing inflation. Wage inflation is now running about 3%. And as you start to see higher inflation and interest rates, that puts pressure on multiples. So you've got a bit of a mixed picture. On the one hand, strong economic growth. On the other hand, you've got this risk on multiples. And so you've got to really focus on what you buy. Early in a cycle, you can almost buy anything as you get later in the cycle, you have to become more selective.
0: Any surprise that the Fed raised interest rates recently?
1: No, no real surprise. In fact, if you look at it, with inflation starting to trend two and a half, three percent 3%, yeah. and short rates at only 2 that would argue the Fed should be moving towards raising rates. And as I said, that will impact asset values. So that's the thing investors have to balance, is I've got to invest in things that can grow faster, to offset what should be higher rates and, as a result, lower multiples on businesses.
0: So do you think we're going to see, I mean, for the most part in the last couple of years, we have seen companies' quarterly returns be pretty strong, for the most part, across the board. Do you expect that to continue? Yeah, I think
1: on the earnings per share side, that's where you can be most positive because this pickup in economic growth is leading to a pickup in revenue and a pickup in earnings. That's the positive side. The flip side, as I've been saying, is multiples, when you start to put higher interest rates into the picture, they get some pressure. So as investors, try to buy things that'll grow faster that can make up for this multiple compression. What you don't want to own are long duration bonds, which have really nowhere to hide as you go to a higher rate environment.
0: What are the most most important things that Blackstone is looking at in terms of investing in general, whether it be here in the United States or, or overseas at this point? what are the most important things we're looking at? I mean, what we're
1: really focused on is where do we see the opportunity to outperform in this more challenging investment environment? So um, on the bond side, on the fixed income side, it's shorter duration because rising rates means that's where you get a higher return. Um, In terms of other asset classes, what we're looking for is things that will grow. So companies that we can go in and intervene and drive the earnings higher. We just bought a a couple of large industrial businesses where we see that kind of opportunity. On the real estate side, it's where we see really good secular growth. So uh, the industrial space, the warehouse space, because of the movement from land-based retail to online goods. Yeah. That's leading us to buy more industrial. So where we can see some higher growth in this environment, that's where we're trying to focus.
0: Uh, I saw an article w- with you commented recently talking about, speaking about real estate, talking about Asia Pacific as a, as an area of focus for you. Jamie Dinan, who was with us yesterday, mentioned the same thing as well. What is it about that region of the of the world that really draws your attention right now? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh,
1: Asia represents a third of the globe's economic activity, but two-thirds of global growth. So if you're an investor and you're trying to get higher returns, you generally want to be in a place of higher growth. There's less capital in our world, alternatives, uh, things like private equity, and therefore there's a pretty good dynamic for investing. Now, there are other challenges in emerging markets, places like India, places like China, but underlying growth is pretty strong. So getting more exposure to that for us and our investors, we think is important. and makes a lot of sense. I
0: wanted to ask you about China because obviously it is a a, a massive economic entity. They continue to seemingly have more and more influence around the globe. You expect that to continue? I think China will grow
1: over time to be the largest economy in the world. It's 1.3 billion people They've got great infrastructure. They're very entrepreneurial. So yes, I think the Chinese will continue to be a larger force. Their rate of growth as their economy gets bigger may not be at the same pace over time, mm-hmm. but the absolute size of their economy will grow. And
0: increasingly, the U.S. and China are the two major economies around the world. How much do you think what we've seen in in Europe with the Brexit and Italy recently and the back and forth on trade, uh, between the U.S. And, and the EU. How is that impacting that, that region of the world? So Europe, interestingly, has actually been
1: doing fairly well over the last 12 or 18 months. Growth's been a little better than people expected. Clearly, very low interest rates there have helped. Getting the crisis really behind it, yep. particularly in the, amongst the banks, has been helpful. But Brexit has posed a challenge. We've seen U.K. growth slow a lot. Yep. The Italy challenge, and, and really the idea of a uh, monetary union without a fiscal union, right? right? One central bank, but a bunch of independent countries is a challenge and it creates some risk. It creates volatility. So they're almost like periodic sunspots that emerge in Europe that have a negative impact on growth. I think Europe will hang together over the near intermediate term, but growth will be impacted by some of these flare-ups. Um, and, but in places like Spain, we're seeing healthy signs of growth. Ireland, Germany so the overall European picture is not so bad
0: um, but again I don't expect Europe to grow at the same rate as the us but the impact with the potential back and forth with the US and and, and Europe over over tariffs and such how how will that play a role well i I think globally um, this tariff
1: issue obviously creates a lot of high uh, a lot of headlines and yep. makes people nervous um, understandably but I do think with all the parties involved, there's a collective self-interest in trying to find I think is a positive. The second thing is I do think a lot of these countries recognize that the U.S. historically has offered a more open market relative to what they've done. And so some things may have to change, particularly yeah. in the context of the U.S. and countries like China and so forth. So I think there will be some changes. As I said, I think there's collective self-interest to get this done. So my hope is this gets resolved. In the interim, uh, it may create some volatility. But in the fullness of time, these countries should trade with one another. So I would expect that this gets
0: resolved. But there are no guarantees. And certainly, we could see things go awry along the way. John Gray joining us here at the uh, Global Forum. Uh, You mentioned real estate a little bit ago, and I wanted to touch on that for a second. Uh, From the commercial side, is it a very healthy market here in the U.S.? It is a healthy market. What's surprising is we,
1: we're deep into an economic cycle, and normally at this point, new building is starting to be qu- quite problematic. Yeah. You know, developers get very enthusiastic. Banks tend to lend too much. At this point, new supply is still running in the low 1% range in an economy growing at 25 to 3 yeah. That's healthy supply-demand balance, which is why occupancies and rents are generally growing up, going up. The challenge, again, back to the earlier discussion, is a rising rate environment does put pressure, particularly on real estate assets that are more fixed income in nature. A long-term lease, you know, Walgreens or so forth. So I'd say overall it's a healthy picture, but it's not as great an investing environment as we saw four or five years ago.
0: Do you have concerns about the in, in certain situations on the commercial side because of how retail is being impacted? And, you know, again, the idea of whether or not you want to own your property or whether you want to lease it, but you also have places like Toys R Us that had, you know, obviously a huge amount of real estate that is now, it's a unique size to be able to try and fill with something else. I think the retail sector,
1: in particular, faces the greatest headwinds because of this movement to online yeah. uh, if you think about the apartment business it 's pretty hard to live in your phone right i mean yes. yeah. so, yes. so I think um, some businesses and sectors in real estate are more insulated um, as you know the the warehouse area is probably the one that 's benefiting the most because As the Amazons of the world distribute direct to the customer, they do it more out of warehouses, obviously, than retail spaces. So I think as you're investing in real estate, it's really no different than the corporate landscape or if you're looking at credit, thinking about how um, technology is changing these industries. I mean, we've seen here in New York City, the taxi medallion business basically went up in value for 75 straight years. And then in an 18-month period of time with Uber, 90% of the value was lost. That's a pretty dramatic example. But you do have to be looking as an investor. What's the impact of technology on this business I'm investing in? Real estate's no exception. The greatest headwinds are in retail. doesn't mean all physical retail is going away, but it does mean a number of tenants face real challenges. The amount of capital landlords have to put in is going up. And so it's having an impact on valuations, and you can see that in the public retail real estate stocks.
0: What about the residential side and, and the value that people are, may or may not be finding now because of, you know, again, interest rates uh, rising, uh, values on homes have been rising, obviously, the last few years as well coming out of the recession? So I think in the residential side, um,
1: particularly on single-family homes, we're in a good spot. If you yeah. think about real estate in the context of supply and demand, we're still only building maybe two-thirds of what we need to keep up with household formation and population growth. And that's why you see home prices in the U.S. growing at two and three times the rate of inflation. Sure. Until we see a ramp up in new supply, I think single-family housing in the U.S. will still be pretty good. Now, there are some pockets of weakness Very high-end condos in places like New York and San Francisco, where there was a lot of building, the prices ran up a lot, and we've now seen a lull. In some cases, prices have declined a bit. But if you look at the U.S. overall, and this is one of the positive things about the U.S. economically, the lack of building is supporting the residential side. And if you went back today, I think this year we'll deliver a million, one or two homes in the United States. If you went back to oh five hundred six we were delivering almost double that, yeah, so yeah. this is a much healthier market that 's
0: positive for values over time, so just not building for building 's sake anymore, really focusing about where and how much you want to want to go after it and and there was a speculative
1: frenzy back then, if you remember people were buying homes to flip them sure yeah, and whenever yeah. you see in a market, we saw this in ninety nine in the dot com era whenever people are just sort of buying. And it's just like, I want to get on the elevators going up. I just want to be on it. Don't don't want to miss the train. Don't want to miss the train. The proverbial, you get in the cab and they start telling you about internet stocks or telling you about (laughs) house flipping. That's generally a sign. And and the healthiest thing, the reason this economic cycle has gone on for a long time is that we just haven't built up the normal imbalances. Residential, commercial, real estate have been imbalanced. The banking system's been fairly restrained. That's one of the reasons why... I feel pretty good that the economic cycle here in the U.S. still has a ways to run. Again, the challenge is what's going to happen on the interest rate and inflation side.
0: So is the, is the 3 to 3.5% three uh, GDP growth that the president would like to see, is that a possibility? I, or is it I,
1: I think it's a possibility. I think companies, you know, the pullback on the regulatory side and the tax reform— Yeah. Um, have given a level of confidence that wasn't out there before and it doesn't matter what your politics are just looking on the ground that is creating an environment where companies are investing more they're hiring more I do think we're going to start to see some real tightness in labor markets and that will have an impact
0: I wanted to touch on the work that you and your wife are doing with Penn Medicine uh, and looking at cancers Uh, tell us more about what you're doing there
1: So unfortunately, my wife lost her sister to a BRCA-related ovarian cancer. BRCA is a gene mutation that, if you have it, for women in particular, a much higher incidence of both breast and ovarian cancer. And we came out of this and said, gosh, we want to find a way to help families affected by this, this genetic mutation. We spent a bunch of time with the folks at Penn who are already doing a lot of work there, the woman who runs this, Susan Domchak, the doctor there, is terrific. She had been focused in this area. We sat down with Amy Gutman, the team there, and said, let's build something really special. Yeah. We created this center named after my wife's sister, the Basser Center for BRCA. The, what's great is the progress on the ground is really tangible. For the first time, they have drugs targeted for these BRCA related cancers. They're identifying where they start, potentially, which could help on the preventive side, and they're even doing things around potential vaccines. So, it's one of the, for me, very exciting things: the ability to try to make a difference. Um, And it's a lot like my business side, where you find the right partners, the right leaders, you put a lot of capital, and you go all in. And we couldn't be happier with PennMed and the progress they've made with the Basser Center. John, great meeting you. Hey, great great to meet you as well. Thank you.